Thank you for joining us on Volley Plot Podcast, episode number three. Our guest today is the head coach of the University of Connecticut, Chris Cronwall. We had a very, very interesting conversation about his beginnings in the sports and also about the fact that he uses math to analyze different game situations. It was very interesting and fun conversation, and I hope that you all enjoy it. I'm actually from a little small uh, one-stop light town in upstate New York. One-stop light. Yeah. Wow. It's still, it's still a one-stop light town, uh, a little town called Germantown in the Catskill Mountain area, right on the Hudson River. Um, you know, with volleyball, you know, in, in, in my town, it was all basketball. We did, our school was kindergarten through 12, public. Didn't have football because we only had 40 kids in each graduating class. Wow. So a really small school. But, uh, you know, athletics, I had two older stepbrothers, um, and then a sister two years older than me that play, they all played volleyball in high school. We actually had a volleyball team, even as rural as we were, but I never played in high school until my senior year. So my start in the game was uh, I used to, my sister went to all, drove to Albany an hour and a half to play club volleyball, and I used to just take my homework and go up and watch her, and then uh, I think it was... In 10th grade, you know, I was watching practice in my jeans and my shoes and my sweatshirt, and they dragged me out there. So my first time ever really playing volleyball was with a with a women's team on a women's net. And just after that, uh, just they got me into the boys' team, to the men's team, and then it kind of went from there. So for me... In that same club, or was yeah, it... Yeah, in that, in that same club. So everything started in, the, in that club. Yep, what was started. the name of that club? It was Kosan Volleyball Club, um, which was back in the day, you know, was one of the better teams in the central New York area. And we used to travel to Canada, to Buffalo, down to Jersey to play, you know, in weekend tournaments all over yeah. the place. And by my junior year, they had kind of moved me up to the uh, to the men's team. So I got to play with much older and experienced players, even though I was only in my first year of the game. But I was athletic, and so they kind of took me into, under, under their wing. And, you know, I, I learned a lot just from watching other people play. And so that was my initial interest in the game was the athleticism that it presents and I, you know, played basketball in high school, and basketball in my high school was it. That's you know, that's, that's what everybody whole... waited for. And my senior year, decided to play volleyball, and that was a big deal when uh, me and a couple friends decided to play volleyball. Instead from of basketball. the friends from the basketball team, yeah. And yeah. was so the volleyball team was like nothing. Was yeah, just you like know, you know, whatever. We, we played in like the twenty-year-old basketball jerseys. <laughs> season was pretty much you know it was a very small and. But the girls' teams in our school had always been really successful. And then, uh, and again, you know, I got a couple other people interested in volleyball. And then uh, we just started playing it for fun. And then during lunch and PE, and then our senior year, uh, we decided to, to play volleyball instead of there were three of us that decided to play volleyball instead of basketball. And we were all pretty prominent people on the team. So it made, it made some news in the town. <laughs> um, but again, you know, I think for what volleyball has done for me for the rest of my life beyond that, probably the smartest decision oh yeah yeah definitely definitely so you got involved in high school um when do you decided to just move on with volleyball that was it that was the time when you said all right so forget basketball in high school again playing playing at the club that i did we used to practice at suny albany which you know albany university of albany now it was a d3 school back then um so my freshman year, so I ended up going to Junior Olympics my senior year with an all-star team from Pennsylvania. 
Okay. They actually just saw me play at a tournament. The head coach of that club team was Mark Pavlik, mm-hmm. who's now the head co- men's coach at Penn State. Had asked me if I wanted to go to nationals with them, and I was like, sure, you know, whatever. And so went to nationals with them my senior year. Hadn't really decided what I was doing for college yet, so I had it. I had been recruited for baseball some. I was a pitcher. Had talked to uh, Penn State, Santa Barbara, and, and some other schools for volleyball. And then the assistant coach on that team that, that summer was a player at George Mason. And he was like, hey, you need to come check out Mason. So my first semester of college, I went actually went to the University of Albany because I hadn't really decided yet. And that's where our club team was, was playing. Yeah. So I was training with the club team. And then uh, my high school baseball coach um, was actually the gymnastics coach at Albany, and he was trying to get me to play baseball there because I had taken some. <laughs> Everyone was baseball. pulling you to go yeah. everywhere, and everywhere. So I spent my first semester at Albany, and uh, finally decided that Santa Barbara was too far away from home, and I enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the staff at George Mason and the players at George Mason more than I had really uh, gotten to know Penn State. So I ended up transferring to George Mason my. Uh, first semester in college oh and then i know that i saw in the um in your biography you went to school for math yep. right yeah two math degrees and i coach volleyball <laughs> yeah. i mean kind of goes together <laughs> with the stats that you take well you know, quote, unquote, funny, you know different people train the game differently you know and, and i think you know being a being trained from a, a mathematical standpoint you you're a very analytical thinker, you know, and I think I think this game, you know, the setting position, middle blocking position, there are certainly aspects of this game where you can basically train it like an algorithm. Mm-hmm. You know, here we are, we're in this rotation, there in ro- that rotation, then we should do this. Match up my strengths against their weaknesses. If this, then exactly. that. Exactly. It's like, an, you know, I'll, I'll tell you how old I am. It's like an old Pascal program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, yeah. You know, if this, then this, mm-hmm, else this. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so exactly. it's very much a game where if you stop and, you know, and stop and really think about um, think about it, it's very much an analytical game. It's very you, technical. Yeah, it's yeah. very technical. The, so, uh, the, the moment you miss something. Yeah, and it's actually, it you know, a, in our, a lot of times, in, especially in the setter position, you kind of look for somebody with that background because it is a very much a – that's interesting. Okay, you know, here's the, here's where we are. Here's where they are. You know, we can match this up with that, and if not, then we do this. And so I think it's a, it's one aspect of the game that I think has really helped me just kind of organize things. And even with our system and how we play things, we've kind of broken it down into a very analytical style that that helps us organize and be uh, and be more disciplined within our systems. Yeah. Um. I mean, I feel like. I'm a, I'm an engineering major right now. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, wait a second. I'm not alone in this yeah, world. Yeah. Um, and every time right now, like I've talked to my mom sometimes about it and she's like, well, coaching, but what? you're going to study engineer. I'm like, mom, you don't understand. I don't know why when I get to the court, I just everything just just seems to like get yeah. organized in my mind and to a point where where I can just analyze it that easy. It just yeah. makes it a little easier for me. Because I'm used to analyzing so complex problems, sure. and and it's just like, wow, I, I can't believe that there's a link between this. It's trying to organize variables. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> legit the exact same thing, and it's yeah. just like, 
you got your players, you got six players moving around in this small side of the court. You're trying to be aggressive and trying to hit an offense, but at the same time trying to set up a defense. If you move an inch to the right, it could potentially hurt you. But if you move an inch to the left, it's it's just crazy. Yeah. I, and 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 it's and it's fun that there's another person <laughs> I, I, I like me. I would say obviously at a bigger scale than I am, but. Um, it's just it's it's funny to to hear that point of view because that's exactly what 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 I try to tell people. Um, so you played for four years, right, yep. George Mason? Yep. Um, you were done playing right after that, or what? So I had an opportunity. Like I said, my sister played in college, and that's um, you know high school, college, and she's the one that kind of got me into the game. Just going to watch her practices and then, you know, peppering the backyard, which I was absolutely horrible. So I had, <laughs> I had to drag her out there because she didn't want to pepper with me. But um, she ended up playing profession after college, playing professionally in Europe for a couple of years, played in France. And then the two foreigners on her team were people that we played against each other quite a bit from uh, Quebec City. And so they, when I graduated, they had offered me a contract with the men's team in the same town. And at that point, it was a matter of, and I had already done some applying to grad schools because mm -hmm. uh, with my math degree, I went, went went on one math interview and it took me about 45 minutes to figure out how to tie a tie. And I'm like, I can't do this every day. <laughs> so I got to figure out, so I got to figure out another option to just, you know, stay yeah, in school. Yeah. So I had sent out some feelers. And so I had an offer to either go to Europe and play or go to Florida State and as a graduate assistant with volleyball, get my master's paid for and start coaching. And I think it was more of my body telling me it's time to move on to the, the coaching side of it yeah. with my knees and my ankles and all the soreness that I had had. And uh, so I decided to go to Florida State. And, uh, you know, I went there, started in, a, you know, as a stats, I was going to do my master's in statistics, set, you know, probably during preseason, really figured out, I was like, man, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. just loved it and so I changed to math education you know and it was interesting and went kind of went through my master's you know and I have it and it's sitting up on my wall and you know I'm glad I got my my degree but I knew from day one uh in coaching and being in the gym and the women's game is so different from the men's game very and when you talk about you know the men's game is much more about physicality you know the men's game you train hitting and blocking and jump serving power it's power everything's mm -hmm. one at the mm -hmm. net and the women's game, there's so much more athleticism, finesse, technical, technical yeah. tactical aspects mm -hmm. that you can actually coach. I think that's what really drawed me into, you know, into the women's game more. And even today, people ask me if I want to go back to Mason and coach the men's team or whatever. And I'm just like, no, I just really enjoy the women's game a lot more because of all the different variables that it presents. It's much I feel like the rallies also last a little longer it, too. It's, it, much, it's, it's much, much more fun. volleyball. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know, the men's game, it's about the men have almost out athleticized the net. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And by so far. It's, it's almost like in basketball yeah. where they're like yeah. thinking on raising, raising, the raising the hoop, the hoop right. and everything yeah. because it's a joke now yeah. for them. And I think, I think the women's game right now is in a really fun place because you know, we're getting bigger, we're getting stronger. We're getting better athletes in our game. So we have aspects of the men's game being introduced into the women's game, which makes it more fun to watch because mm -hmm. we've got, you know, we've got women in our game touching 11, six, you know, yeah. 11 foot, um, you know, playing at a really high level. So we have some of the aspects of the men's game, but we also still have a much more of the technique and tactical aspects of the women's game. Yeah, and that um, not too long ago, I think it was like two or three years ago in the NCAA tournament, BYU had 
that six girl foot six six, six. Yeah. and it was yeah. it's it was a big deal yeah but now there's a couple of rosters out there oh, yeah. that have girls that are six six florida's got a freshman middle at six seven and, and they and yeah. and they have outside hitters that might be like six three but yeah. jump through the roof yeah you look at a destiny hooker you know who is at texas who's you mm-hmm. know probably touching 11 2 11 3 That's insane and, um, so we've got some people that are doing some unbelievably dynamic things in our sport. Uh, the, the struggle for, you know, I think the long-term struggle for the athletes in our country is that collegiately and club-wise, we play a different game than our international game. Mm-hmm. And very so that's different, why very when, different. When you watch the, our women's national team, you see all these players that are the big wigs in college that come out that their game, because of the substitution rules, their game's not ready for the international mm-hmm. level because mm-hmm. you can't just sub into a 6-2 and yeah. add a 6-2. So it takes even our best athletes at the collegiate level to train technically for a couple more years to be ready for the international Yeah, game. yeah, learn, learn basically like another you facet need, of the game. You know, you that need, you, as an outside, you need to be a six-rotation outside. Definitely, yeah. You that know, doesn't exist. Right of side, having a DS, be, right. that doesn't really right. exist. You might have like someone that yeah. comes and serves for the middle. Once or twice. Once or twice, and yeah. that's it. Right. And and these are girls that are libs everywhere else. Yeah. But over right. there, they just get to yeah. serve one play, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no DS. There's no... Um, so I, I think, you know, as you, as you look at the growth of our sport, I think our club system, you know... It, is producing is getting more athletes are you know if you watch the women's volleyball uh collegiate game it's very competitive but there is a big step for us to take and we've done well internationally but because of the different games that we play substitutionally we're training our players differently at the club high school and collegiate level than they need to be trained at to be ready while we are the topic why do you think is that because in basketball is the same thing in basketball you watch an NCAA basketball game right now. They're playing two halves. They're playing. It's 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 just so much different than when you go and sit down and watch the NBA games, where it's four quarters. Um, there's some other rules that are just so much different than what they have. Well, I think a lot of it stems from internationally. I think so many of the when, if you go to Europe, um, the Olympics drive their their sport cultures, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so. Their club systems, they all play the international rules. I think in the States, we have a lot of disorganization within our associations. Our high schools play different rules in our clubs. So much our different. Co- it's one, so much one different. One state plays different than the next state. So much different, and yeah. Now, part of that is, and I think, you know, and as college coaches, we've, I think most of the college coaches have pushed for more kids to have more opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so I think our substitution rules allow that. You know, when you look at Title IX, when you look at things, you know, we want more opportunities for our female athletes. Our substitution rules allow that. We want, you know, two lefts. If we're running a 6-2 system, you know, you've got two setters, two right sides, two pins, two middles. You've got your libero, and you may have a sub or two left here for the DS. We've got 11 or 12 people involved in each match, and if you play the international rules, you've basically got your seven players. Maybe you have room for a sub in there. But it's very, it's just a different, uh, it's just a different philosophy long term. Is that part of it is just our organization in the states that it's funny because usually collegiately we're the last one to adapt the rules. You know, high school will change a rule, then club will change a rule, then collegiately will change that rule. That's so to weird. Where it ought to filter down. What 
internationally, what are we doing? But I think that's just a difference of you know where we where we look to as our guidance. And I just don't think in the states that we look at our Olympic system as our guiding principles. You know, we look at the pro rules. So that's mm-hmm. why the NBA does what they do. But NBA is way different than what yeah, they do internationally yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's just a it's just a probably a more of a society and cultural aspect of where do we want to get to? And I think in the states we look at different things than they do. Do you think? Do you think that's affecting to our national teams? Like, I, like when they go absolutely. for at least for volleyball when they go. I was talking to um, Coach Sullivan from Springfield College the other day, and I asked him the same question. I was like, "Why do you think?" Um, what? Let, let me rewind that. Back in the day, when I was like ten years old, twelve years old, I remember just watching USA coming to Puerto Rico men's volleyball team, and they were unstoppable. They were unreal good they they we looked at them as they were a bunch of gods they were just like wow and there was a point where obviously they went through a huge transition which they went up to like a couple of years ago when they have started to pick it up again but it's not as easy as it used to be for them to beat other teams like yeah. it used to be very easy for them to beat italy yeah. or um, I don't know. Let's say Brazil. Bra- even Brazil, yeah. Brazil. Yeah. When yeah. even they when they had um, Giba on their team, they were like still USA was still really, really good. Yeah. And yes, they lost and yes, they won. But it wasn't that easy as it is right now. I think right now for all our teams, it's easier for them to say, oh, we can beat USA now. Do you yeah. think those well, rules? Well, again, I think p- part of the rules and I think it, you know, it starts in the grassroots where. You know, when you look at all the thousands and thousands of kids that, you know, are playing USA Volleyball, you know, the majority, like when you go to our big qualifier events, we go to recruiting and there's 200 gyms in Atlanta that we've got to go walk around. Most of the money that's, a lot of the money that's being put into our events with USA Volleyball aren't going to USA Volleyball. They're going to individuals who own those clubs. And, and, and yeah. clubs. They're business. qualifiers. It's a business. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big challenges for our national team and the new CEO of USA Volleyball is, you know, our best players are scattered all around the world playing in different leagues. Volleyball's, volleyball is probably the ultimate team sport. And we don't have a Le- professional league LeBron in the United can States. LeBron win a championship. You get one guy who's really good at dribbling the ball down there and can take control of a game, you can win a basketball game with one really, really good player. You and can't our, do that in volleyball. Our, our game is so dependent upon not just great players, but having those great players play together. And I think it's really hard for us to sustain a consistent effort when internationally our player, we bring our players because they have pro leagues. We don't, you know, our teams will come together into the training center and train for a period of time, but they're not training together year round because our USA system doesn't have the money to pay them that they can make overseas. So we have people in Russia, we have people in Italy, we have people in all these different pro leagues, but then we've got to try and bring them back together and play as a unit, and that's much more difficult to in do. In less than like a month. Than yeah. other sports. Yeah, and, and, and that's definitely I think that's the case. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and in Puerto Rico, we're obviously facing a different problem, but we do have a professional league, and you do see that where most of our professional players, yes, we do have – four or five players that are out there in Europe playing that would just join the team yeah. in like a month or whatever. But most of the, the, the rest core. of the team, yeah, they're the playing is, against yeah. each other or with each other in the same league. So they right. get to see each other. They get to talk to each other. And that kind of helps 
that team. Um, but again, we're facing a totally different problem than you guys are. But I, I've, that's one of my number one pet peeves with USA Volleyball. It's just like, how come one of the best nations in volleyball around the world doesn't have a professional league? And of course, we're competing right. with yeah. the NFL, the NBA, MLB, right. NHL, who's going to watch volleyball. But, but and, and, and I was talking to um, my girlfriend about this. You just saw on ESPN this past year, we broke records of, like, all-time watchers for the NCAA tournaments. Well, we've also, volleyball last year also surpassed soccer as the number one participation sport in in the U.S. For for youth, yeah. For for women. Yeah. So for our sport, we now have the most young women playing our sport. Um, You know, and there's a women's soccer league, but our problem is culturally volleyball is not the biggest sport to where – you know, if you go to the, the pro soccer game in Chicago, you've got this huge international gathering of people that live in the big cities just because mm-hmm. we are have that melting pot. And volleyball isn't as big internationally as soccer, and that's why I think in our country we have the most women playing it, and it's growing and we're getting there, but I still think we've got a long ways to go to help foster us to have the consistent professional mm-hmm. opportunities. Definitely. Um, Just trying to go away a little bit from from all of that um international talk that it's so fun but i could spend <laughs> hours talking about it um so you were done you went to florida state university yep. for your master's degree you did a ga position right there yep. um after that you went to auburn university auburn university and you did what you didn't coach in there right yeah. or were you you were a coach so i was the uh assistant coach at auburn and uh, was there for uh, six years. Six years. Six wow. years. And then uh, the head coach that I was working with after the fourth year um, had gotten engaged and moved to Texas. So I was hired as the head coach. Um, so I was actually the youngest head coach in, in, uh, in a major conference and was two years head coach. I think we were 42 and 21, so we had done well. But there were some things uh, – you know, whether it be politically, athletically, socially, that were going on that I, I felt like I needed to change, whether that was invaluable or not. And so I actually got out of coaching for two years, went to the University of Michigan, where my sister was pursuing her PhD, and uh, started working in, in athletic compliance at the University of Michigan. Um, very, very interesting time for me that I ended up going, getting back into coaching two years later at Ole Miss. A good friend had gotten that job and convinced me to get back into it. And so it was a unique time to be away from coaching, but yet that time... Being in the backstage part of it, yeah, I think. Yeah, that time allowed me to learn so much about the rules and just the administrative side of it to where we have... Let's see, where's my... Uh, our 568 pages oh, yeah. of rules. the fun book. Um, you know, even though it was that long ago, every every day I still use things that I learned during my time in compliance that allowed me to do my job better. So it was an interesting time for me to get a coaching, but I don't regret it because of all the other things that I've learned um, that have helped me be better at what I do now. And so I ended up getting back into coaching at Ole Miss, was there three years. Uh, my fiance at the time was a women's soccer coach. Um, and we had an op- she had an opportunity to be a head coach at Moorhead State in Kentucky where, again, volleyball is a small world where the head the head coach, volleyball coach at Moorhead was a good friend of mine. So they hired they hired my fiance as head soccer coach, created a position for me with volleyball. 
So we were there for a couple of years and then we just wanted to get back to a higher level. We mm-hmm. just felt like, you know, we'd been in the SEC and the ACC. And so I was offered an opportunity at the University of Arkansas, uh, basically doubled my salary as an assistant coach. And so I went to Arkansas and my wife stayed in Moorhead at, at the time for that year. Um, but she also came on my interview to Arkansas with me and the administration there really liked her and it just happened that next year they let their soccer coach go. They hired my wife as the as the soccer coach wow, at Arkansas. Look at that. So we spent four years at Arkansas and then uh, her and I had a, a separation and uh, had some philosophical differences with the volleyball coach that I was working with. So I decided to make the decision and went back to Auburn where a good friend of mine had taken the job and went back there to help him kind of rebuild that program. And, uh, and I was happy there and content there. And then, uh, UConn opened up and then the former athletic director at UConn at the time was at Michigan, was a AD at Michigan while I was there. So I knew him. So you worked with him. Yeah. The CEO here at UConn was a graduate assistant in academics when I was at Michigan. So he and I had done a lot of things together. The senior women's administrator here at UConn was the uh, worked in the SEC league office, so I wow. knew her pretty well. And then the fourth person that they had put on the interview committee here at UConn was uh, in our compliance office here, who was a former volleyball player from Northwestern, who was from Louisville, that I'd actually done volleyball camps with wow. about ten years. Talk about that. all so the stars aligning. <laughs> I walked into it. I walked in, you know, and once we had kind of figured out there was an opening, and they had find, found out that I was interested. I wasn't looking for a job, but when you grow up in the Northeast, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, UConn's one of the two or three schools that you just grow up thinking that's your dream school. Definitely. And yeah. uh, so it came up and it was an opportunity that to, after spending 20 some years in the South and you know, in all the different places was an opportunity for me to kind of come home and maybe build something in volleyball. I'm not saying we're going to get to where Gino is, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know, maybe kind of try and do something where people don't think it can be done. Yeah. And, and I mean, even though, like like we said, probably not get to that level, but who knows? Maybe, maybe we could get to that level. I mean, you have the facilities. Of course, you have the facilities. You have um, a good staff. Um, so the base, at, you have it in there. Yeah, when you look at jobs, you know, when you're a volleyball coach and you look at going to your next job, you always want, you, you know, there are things you look for. And one of the things, you know, and I, and I tell recruits this, I'll be, you know, we have somebody on campus tomorrow. And one of the things that I enjoy about UConn is there's not a question mom or dad can ask me that I don't have a really good answer for. Whether that's about the academics, mm-hmm. I mean, we're a top 20 public institution in the country. We've got some amazing things going on with our, you know, our $5 billion STEM, STEM research campus going up in a new dorm and a new, uh, new rec center, you know, athletically. UConn's proven they can compete nationally, nationally with, with anyone. basketball championships. Our field hockey's won national championships. Men's soccer's won national championships. Um, you know, socially, I think this is a place where we're one of the safest. We're kind of one of the things I like is that, you know, we get kids from all over the country interested in UConn because we're so close to Boston and New York City. But yet for us, we're kind of in this little farm, farm town, farming area, rolling kind of hill in, community yeah. where we have one of the safest campuses in the country where we're located. So as I have parents sitting in my office and we can talk about the things that we can provide for them academically, athletically, and socially, and be in a place where, you know, that we can be safe. I think we have everything we takes to be 
um, to be pretty competitive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and it just takes a couple of years, I think, also in the, that transition Absolutely. from, of course, the players that were not the ones that you recruited to the players that you recruited to change the philosophy to what it was to your philosophy. So it definitely takes time. Um, but but I think it's in good hands right now. How was that first season when you got here? How was the team? Where was the team back then? How is it right now? Yeah, it, I think it's that's always the kind of the interesting part is like when you when you take over a program is the buy-in factor, and obviously you're taking over a team that was uh, recruited by someone else, coached by someone else. You've got people coming in that you didn't recruit, but you're going to coach. And so that first year, it's always kind of a feeling, a feel out. Um, I was fortunate enough, you know, and we basically, and it was the way I wanted to do it and the way the administration wanted to do it. We didn't release anybody. We honored all the players that were here, all the scholarships that were offered out to future players we honored. Um, and, you know, that's just the right way to do things. I think, you know, kids commit to university. Um, I don't think a, a coaching staff is more important than that, mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. that commitment. And so, you know, a lot of the players that we still have here now, I mean, we won't have our first full cycle of recruits for another two years. Um, but I think, you know, that first spring, we were able to train uh, for about three weeks by the time I was hired. And it was interesting, you know, one of the seniors came into us and said, you know, I've learned more volleyball in three weeks than I have in three years. And I'm just really disappointed that I don't get to spend more of my collegiate experience. Wow in this style. And mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, well, you know, that we can't really help you with. It can't really change your, your clock. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if we can get that kind of mindset in the locker room, that's going to, that's going to do more for us than anything is that you buy into the systems, buy into the training, you know, and then develop a culture in the gym to where they, you know, to foster the love of the game. You know, one of our frustrations, you know, we used to come into the gym and they kind of sit there until they were told to do something. It's like, you know, pretty sure there's something you can be doing with the ball to get better and you know and now we've got you know now we're fortunate enough to be here in uh in Gample there's a volleyball net up out there right now and you know we've got a setter who just loves being in the gym and 7 a.m 7 30 if she's up and free she's in there setting balls and so I think changing that culture to where it's it's still a game mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know we want them to play the game at a level that obviously we all want to win Mm -hmm. but one of the biggest philosophy style aspects that we talk about is that you're going to make your own experience here. Mm -hmm. If you want to be yeah. great, that's up to you. We can help foster that and we can help do things with you, but this opportunity is what you're going to make of it. It's not going to happen if you just sit back and wait for it to happen. Um, you know, we're it's still about the extra work. Yeah. You know, and we're still trying to build that leadership and that, that culture of, of what we need to be, off the floor to help us be what we want to be on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I think we've made huge strides and like even just in this spring semester, we're, do, we're doing some things in our gym we've never done before. I still think we have the biggest area, to, our area of growth is what, in what we do off the floor in the locker room and the leadership and the culture. And we're getting there each and each and every year, but that's something that just takes time. Mm -hmm. There's, takes there's time no too. quick fix for that. Do you think the, also there's a, I feel like I, I don't know, but I feel like there's a it's got to be a huge difference between this new generation <laughs> and the past generation yeah. uh, and yeah. how everyone, everyone, you know, and, 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 and just to say it out there, everyone just complains. Oh, there's like the technology and the phones and all of this. 
which at the same time, you know, we're in the future. Like yeah. technology, it's what it is, and and we have to adapt to it. Exactly. Um, but of course, it has its limits, and it has you know. You know, I mean, you can watch probably the biggest video on Facebook right now is Gino's clip of. Oh know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all about what you watch. It's all about what you watch. And I think what he said it was just like <laughs> amazing. And 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 I encourage everyone that if you have little kids, you just. <laughs> watch them like yeah. tell them to watch that because it's true you got kids now that anyone can watch anything from anywhere so like maybe when i was younger it was harder for me to watch how a professional league in europe was developing or how how a game was playing in that was be, being played in there yeah. um whereas now i can just go into google type something boom it's right there right. in like five minutes yeah. i watch everything happening i want to imitate which is what he was talking about. We, the, the kids nowadays, they want to imitate everything without the work. Right. They want to be Steph Curry yeah. without going into the gym and shooting right. thousands of balls every single day. Yeah. You want to be Alicia Glass without <laughs> setting the ball every single day. Um, um, you know, and, and that's what I think is a big difference. Um, but what do you think? What do you think is the biggest change, at least – at least in this generation, whereas also as a club coach, I've seen, I in my in my my personal my personal view, it's players being a little, I mean whatever, it's a little softer, I should say. Like, you know, I think from from a coach's perspective, like back in the day, I used to have coaches that used to like yell at us, which it was, I mean, it is what it is. But there was that respect between, oh, it's my coach, and, right. and, and it doesn't matter if he says I'm doing something wrong, I'm doing something wrong, and I've got to better it. But yeah. now it's just, like, too much into... It's it's so much more societal than... Yeah, you know, it's, yes. And, and, and as coaches, we've got to be able to adapt to stuff, and I think Gino, through his years, has adapted. And I think, you know, if you look at the Gino of women's volleyball, it's probably Russ Rose at Penn State, who probably coaches a style that um, is difficult to coach now, but yet... He has he's developed that culture over 30 years. That if you go in Penn State's gym, you know what you're supposed to do and you know mm -hmm. how you're supposed to do it. It's taken you know him, your standards. It's taken him that long. And you know, and again, like and Gino's talked about it of is when you get to that point, is like you can be a little bit more picky and choosy in who you bring into your gym because as recruiters, you know, I think one of the things that we talk to recruits about is we we watch just as much what you do off the court as you do on the court. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we can see kids that you know jump high, hit hard, and do that. But we're also taking a look at how do you interact with your parents during during that the game. breaks? How do you interact with your teammates? How are you when you're, you know, in volleyball when you're keeping score or doing lines and your relationships with other people? That's going to tell us a lot. Just body language tells us a lot. Body language. You've got, you've got this player over here, you know, this group of players over here, and well, here's this person, odd person over here by themselves, looking through to the other core over there. Going on there, you know, and. During a timeout, somebody's waving into the crowd rather than really facing down into what's going on. And so there are a lot of little things out there that, and it all stems from, you know, and, you know, I think, and I think volleyball being what we've done with our sport has created some of that because club volleyball is expensive. It is very expensive. And so the great athletes in high school that can't afford to play club, sometimes we don't get to see. And then all, because of the cost of club volleyball, most of our kids are coming from pretty families that are, you know, pretty well off middle to upper class families and I think those families again in today's world we're getting kids who have who are wanting more that but have had to work less for it exactly you know I mean we can all talk about you know yeah I grew up 
with jobs, you know, on farms, picking strawberries, picking apples, building swimming Ooh, pools I for seven years. strawberries two years ago. Man, that's the that's worst job ever. Tough job. Oh, my God. So, and, and I think most coaches will talk about, you know, oh, in the old days, in the old days. But yet, you know, we've got to figure out ways to get our players to adapt. True. As well as Us. our ability to mm-hmm. adapt. We, mm-hmm. We're never going to get them on our side of the fence because of what we used to do 20 years ago. We've got to figure out, you know, and I mean, a happy medium between we're, we sit in here every day and, you know, we call it reinventing the wheel of, well, how, how do we get this person? And, and in our sport, and I think with coaching women is different than men, you know, we talked about the games different, but just coaching men is different than women from the sense of, you know, men, I think men play the game much more with a, with an ego, women play it with an emotion. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've got to be careful on how we talk to each individual person um, and then how that how that affects them within the pack, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's a big key in coaching women as well, where guys don't really worry about that. Yeah, yeah, lot. definitely, so and that's true. There's yeah. a lot of societal things within our game alone that have caused you know to put us in the position where we are right now. Now that's some of the challenges that we face, and that we feel like you know one of the things that we talk about with recruits and now being in our coming into our fourth year is you know we've got. I think we're in a position now where recruiting wise, where we can, we're getting good kids on campus that are good athletes, good players. Now we want to try and find those kids that have a little bit more of it. Mm-hmm. None of us know what it is, but yet you'll watch a kid and he's like, all right, she's got stuff that you can't teach. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some of the things that Gino is talking about is that work ethic, that culture, that leadership. That fire. That, yeah. Those fire that, you know, you can watch a kid play and realize that she's in it. She's in it much more than just the well because i'm supposed to be at practice from three to five yeah she's in it for much more than that and that's the kid that can take you to that next step and even if that kid it's doesn't have this uh, or or it's not at the same level skills wise at as another player would be i'd much rather take that kid that i know is going to be at the gym an hour earlier already exactly warming up playing an hour later Yeah. Doing all of these things, watching film, doing yeah. review, asking me questions, all of that. We talked about it this morning in our, you know, and we've got our recruiting board in the other room, and we've got a player coming in this coming fall that's going to be in this position, and in two years we're going to need another player in that position. What kind of player do we want to complement that player? And we don't necessarily want the best available player in that position because of what that player, the first player is going to give us we want maybe we may take a little bit lesser athlete but has a little bit more of the intangibles to help complement what we already have in the gym and so we have those conversations every day in our and that's the fun that's that's the fun part fun part which drives us absolutely nuts oh yeah and and that's another thing that i wanted to say because people think that coaching is just and, and and absolutely there's in the ignorancy of a lot of people that have never been in the job or any job like this um, I'm sure I have ignorancy with other jobs to think, and then they're so easy and they're not. But a lot of people think coaching, you know, oh, the coach all he has to do is just standing there and tell the girls what to do. And it's not the same in college, at least for the NCAA, where you have, in I think, and, 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 and Coach Signelli was telling me, she told me this once because I used to work with her, and she told me this once. She said, coaching in NCAA, it's only a 15 to 20% of, what you actually do well, on a daily that's, basis. That's the point I was going to make is what we tell people is coaching is what we actually do the least of. As we sit here, you know, we're in the office at 8, 830 every morning, and today we practice it 
at one. We'll be in the gym till three, and then we'll be in the office till five is the where all the administrative aspects, all the recruiting work that you do, all those things, and you know even the film watching that you do. And this goes back to kind of the, the players that we want to recruit is coaching is what we do the least of. So for us, our two and a half hours or two hours in the gym, that's our golden time. That's our time that we absolutely love. And so our goal is to, when we go into that gym, have players that we love being around. And so for us, we have to find that happy medium of there may be better players out there that we can bring into our gym. But if that player has that attitude and that me-ism to where we have to go in and deal with that attitude in the gym, well, then that, that cuts down that time for us. So why are we even doing this if now in our golden time we don't have the people in there? And in the biggest picture, what we do, you know, for me as a head coach, and, you know, it's about surrounding myself with great people. Then everything else is going to start taking shape. And obviously what I've been able to attract here with my staff, I'm un unbelievably lucky to have uh, the staff that I do. But that also goes into the locker room and the, and the style of kids you're bringing in is that, you know, we have practice at, at 1245 today and by 1220, 1230, all of our kids will be in there. And the fun time is go in there and, you know, joke about the day and have kids throw balls at you and, and have and have the fun part is to be able to go in there and knowing, all right, now it's the fun time of our day yeah. and not going, oh, yeah. man, now we got to deal with X or Y. So that t that part of his coaching is what we absolutely do the least of. People ask us all the time, well, what do you do the rest of the year after fall? It's like, that's when That's work. when that's when we actually work. start, like, you know, and it, on doing top, this work, on crazy top of work. That of what we do on a daily basis, you know, we're, this time of year we're on the road probably three weekends out of every four recruiting. Um, in the summer it's out recruiting and doing camps so um, if you don't love the game if you don't love people um, it's a tough business because we we don't spend much time at home it's nothing like a nine to five and uh, especially during the season because yeah, when you have when you're away when you have yeah. to stay at the whatever you guys are with with your yeah. team playing one two games tournaments and points and it's we're on the road as much as we are at home so yeah yeah, yeah definitely it, should, it, it, it is it's just a tough business it is a tough job that a lot of times whether it's volleyball basketball soccer whatever a lot of times it's overseas as eh, your coach whatever <laughs> but no i mean i'm not only a coach or in, in your in your, not not me but in your in your um In, in your side is I'm not a, just a coach. I'm probably a coach, an accountant, a recruiter, a um, yeah. Yeah. photographer, a everything. Oh, Secretary my, sometimes my, too my of myself. My loves me because they send the budget reports, the budget sheets to me because they know I'm pretty particular <laughs> in my numbers. And I'll say, hey, this cell might not up. So, um, you know, every all that we do, I mean, we, 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 we wear so many hats as coach yeah yeah that uh you know a lot of people outside of the business don't realize all that we deal with definitely definitely um let's take a little turn you're almost here um almost done there and i want to talk a little bit because i talked to my other two guests and also i was talking with like i said with coach sullivan last week about our region um and this is great because i i'm interviewing the head coach of like you said probably one of the best institutions, most well-known institutions and least in this area, besides Harvard and Yale, who are globally, I think the next up is UConn right there, if not paired up with them. Maybe not at that level educationally, but we're very well-known. Very close. Very well-known, you know? We're we're up there, and we it's, it's a very, very tough school. 
um, and everyone wants to be in Yukon. Everyone around the area wants to go to Yukon, but there's not much representation of Connecticut players or not even Connecticut players, let's say New England players mm-hmm. in your team or in any team like like this, let's say Boston College, let's say UConn, Harvard, Yale, um, even Fairfield, Central. Um, who else? Who else do I have around? BU. Um, all of the schools that you have that are great institutions. With Northeast, we have the best institutions right now, and probably globally as combined. But we don't have representation of our region in there, which I think is crazy. It blows my mind. Uh, well, you know, and I think there's there's a longevity factor in that. I mean, volleyball is a game that um, there's regions of the country that have a lot more history and tradition with volleyball. And with that, I think, you know, if you look at our in the state of Connecticut, you know, a little more than half of our high schools play volleyball. Um, you go to the city of Louisville in Kentucky where the majority of kids – or Chicago, a lot of the kids where they attend Catholic school, they're playing volleyball in fourth and fifth grade. And so in it, in it itself, again, we kind of going back to some of the recruiting stuff, our game has created some of the problems within itself. You know, volleyball is a game that you can't just pick up as a young kid and be successful at because, you know, I can, I can hand a basketball to a youngster and they can throw it through a hoop and, whoa, that's success, that's fun. You put a, bat, you put a soccer ball in front of them, they kick it into a goal, that's success. You hand a youngster a volleyball. There's not a whole lot they can do with it to feel that gratitude of success. Yeah, you're not. You can't. It's not like oh, bump. So it takes a long time. You know, volleyball is a game where our skill set takes a long time to develop. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that history and tradition of volleyball, it's tough. And it starts with, you know, the kids that kind of grew up with it, that then turn into coaches that have that the base and the knowledge. I I still think this region, the country, is still growing with our knowledge and our base to be able to attract um, one the better athletes and I think New England has good athletes playing volleyball we have nowhere near the number of great athletes as the state of Texas um, you know I, I go and help out and run the, the camps at TAV um, TAV alone Texas Advantage Volleyball Club in Texas they've got six players from TAV on the on the roster at University of Texas, who was just in the Final Four, just that one team alone, um, just from that one club, and so there are areas that have you know, and I think when you look at it, where in an area in New England where lacrosse is huge, soccer's huge, basketball, basketball's huge, where we're still battling to get the better athletes to play our sport, then we've got to get those athletes in that sport at a much younger age, and our sport takes a much longer time to develop. I think if you look at, um, you know, if I go to go to Texas where they've got, you know, the, the volley tots going on and they've got 300 kids in a volley top program where they're learning kind of fun ways to deal with volleyball. And there are some areas up here doing it. I think we're just behind, we're just behind the game chronologically mm-hmm. to get the better, the better athletes playing volleyball longer. And some of that's inherent within school systems. You know, we don't have middle school volleyball in Connecticut. We don't at um, all. And it's it just blows it's my mind not too. a game that you can pick up as a ninth grader and start to be really successful at because it's a very, very skill-acquired game. Very technical. Learning yeah. how to pass and learning how to set and learning how to attack and learning footwork is much harder than 
ways that you can be successful in other sports and you got to do it a lot and you got to do it a lot millions and millions of reps yeah i think you know and obviously california with volleyballs beach volleyball has been a part of their culture for life and that's where that's where things kind of started and then you started you know the club programs i think really started fostering things in the upper midwest and in texas then you started then you know when i was at auburn university um in my first stint back around 1993 I was there six years. We recruited one athlete out of the city of Atlanta, one in my six years. Just wasn't a big sport there. Now Atlanta has some of the best volleyball in the country, but that was 15 years ago. Now Atlanta is one of the most highly recruited cities in the country, but it just takes a long, it takes a while to get enough kids to where you get the percentage of the better athletes playing your sport and then get that population of kids to play the game long enough to become more. Do you more think successful. do you think there's something right now like for example me as a high school coach you mentioned this earlier the fact that we're not playing cons- at a, like in a constant rules or constant um picture wise, you know? Um the way I I coach my high school players it's not the same way I coach my club players obviously because of the skills first, well, sure. but in, in in all their parts is because of the way the game runs. Um, do you think, in, in my opinion, I thought, hey, why don't we try as a region or as, let's say, USAV, try to implement, hey, this is how I, we want high schools to be playing right. constantly. Do you think that should be something that yeah, we should do in the region too? Try it in the region, maybe say, hey, even though right now we don't have the the girls, we don't have the girls to play middle school. But we don't. We, maybe we don't know if we have the girls because right. only six or five of them right. of the schools have middle schools. How about hey, let's sit down with all the ads. Let's at least have something, right. either an intramural volleyball between schools or int- something where we can start off and give the players the option. Because I feel that that's what's missing. The girls and talking to my players right now in club volleyball, I talk to them about this a lot. I have I coach a 17s team where I have five players that had never even traveled before cl- yeah. playing club at 17 years old, yeah. and they're pretty good. But of course, at this level, they know they're not gonna get to a D1 school because they just haven't had just late in the game. Yeah. yeah. So and I tell them this all time this the entire time I ask them. Did you guys have the option at least? Because I know I remember in in Puerto Rico we had at least we had the option, from elementary school, from middle school, we all had the option to play whatever sport we wanted. But it was an option whether right. we were good in volleyball or not, whether we were good in soccer or not. The option was there. Right. I don't think that's the same in here. I don't think the option for those kids it's there. Whether we have them or not, we don't know because they don't have the option. I think that's right. what I believe. No, you know, absolutely. And I think the, the challenge there is obviously there's you know. Being the opportunity to play the sport, be exposed to the sports, the biggest thing. And I think our club programs are trying, as you know, uh, our club programs are trying to get them because now they're offering the the 14 under, 13 under, 12 and under. But if you haven't had exposure to the game, it's tough for parents to say, "Well, okay, volleyball is going to be it." And so I think our avenue through that, you know, and I, you know, and obviously everybody knows kind of the uh, funding is always an issue at the in, in the educational school systems with offering more. A lot of times it's we got to do less. So our challenge is, I think, the way to foster that, you know, whether it be through the high performance regional opportunities or through the clubs, is finding ways to really help the clubs booster. Um, 
their local their locale in the sport of volleyball you know when the first year we got here you know we offered our we got here in april we offered our summer camps and we had to cancel them because we had not enough interest um last year we basically teamed up with the local club team and we did our camp at their facility which i think you know helps them because you're bringing you know yukon's name into their facility with people in their locale and so hope maybe we brought a kid a couple kids into their gym that was weren't there before and so i think if you know now that we're kind of getting into the more stable time in, in the progression of our program we're starting to look into outreach and you know we've talked to you this morning about you know we'd love to get out there with some programs and do some satellite camps mm -hmm. we'll come to them you know are there ways that we can help foster during preseason uh the last couple of years um what well, we report about two and a half weeks before our season starts we've reached out to a couple of high schools and uh, we've actually done gone and done a couple of our preseason practices at their facility at their high schools you know with the one high school we probably had 100 people there but we had a team there the coaches there we had the administrators there we had coaches from other sports there because man yukon was in their gym and so each preseason we're looking to do that at one or two schools just to get the game of volleyball out to our gyms you know obviously everybody knows gino his face is all over facebook mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we all love him and he's great and but we want opportunities to try and get volleyball out there as well and so we're trying we're trying to do a little bit more and more each year and what what in our part and what we can do and help the sport um, and I think it's got to be a lot done as much through the club system because their ability to attract some of the younger kids, if we attract the high schools, you know, then it's a separate middle school, mm -hmm. it's elementary. Mm -hmm. And so I think the club system is the way to do that. You know, our job is the how can we help them do that more? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And that's, I think, a great idea, too, because it, at the in the long run, I'm thinking, you know, that will help you guys even more because then if we have a better – volleyball in here you don't have to travel yeah. to texas no. you save that yeah. money traveling to texas and maybe you travel to it's connecticut harder. hartford you and know, there you go the success of your program you know is based on many things but recruiting is a big part of that mm -hmm. and, you know the ability to have you know if you're at tcu um there are 95 volleyball clubs within 30 miles of tcu so the ability to get in your car and go watch practices. And that's why, you know, we have limitations on how many days we can be out. We certainly are at a disadvantage of how many days we can be out. And, you know, pretty much means we're in a, a longer car drive to see the quantity of good people that we need to see. Um, so it's much more expensive and time consuming for us to do that. But I knew that when I took the job yeah, and I'm okay yeah. with that. And UConn supports that and with the budgets that we've got to recruit. But there's obviously bonuses to having a lot more uh, local talent, um, but our job, and I think that's part of the challenge, is to help foster foster uh, the New England volleyball scene as, as best we can. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, and my last question, I promise this is my last question. I always ask this to everyone. Um, what is your advice for someone like me or younger that is trying to be in your chair in the future someone that is trying to be a head coach of a major institution what's your major advice for us build your network um get exposure you know i've got somebody here that's working us on a volunteer basis and um helping him you know helping trying to help him get a job with my network of people and i think you know i was fortunate that uh when i came out of college i had a, you know kind of a resume was an, i'll mention all american a couple of times had played in the final four and the person i ended up working for had recognized me through that 
Um, there's a lot less opportunity, and there's a there's a lot of great coaches out there who don't have that opportunity. And so for me, it's work camps. You know, go work camps. Go to Penn State, talk to Russ. You know, come to UConn, work our camps. Go to BC, work their camps. Go to you can email anybody and say, hey, I want to come work your camps. That's going to build your network of people that you know, and then that people will have exposure to your style of coaching, your personality, and who you are. And because we all get emails every day saying, hey, I've got a GA position open, or hey, I've got a volunteer position open, or hey, I've got this or got that, the majority of it's interesting how much of the job process in volleyball, and it's a small world, mm-hmm. of how we all count a lot on each other. Um, pretty much everybody that I've hired, I've had some sort of interaction with prior to. I think there's a comfort zone there. I mean, we spend, it's not a nine to five. We spend a lot of time with the people that we're around. So it's important that you get out there and build your network. And a lot of times that's going to take a hit on your pocketbook to start, but it's kind of one of those sacrifices you have to make that we've all made through the years. You know, my first volleyball job paid 13,000 grand a year and it's what you got to do. Um, the, the game has grown so much more now that there's a lot of opportunities out there you've got to be able to go out and build your network um, in the volleyball community to say, hey, I know know somebody that knows her. So, you know, hey, I worked Penn State's camp, and he knows that person that's hiring, so maybe that they can be on my letter of recommendation. So I think it's important that through through volleyball, you build your network as best you can, find your niche niche of people that you really feel comfortable with, and then those are the people that you can count on to help you through the process. There's only so many time opportunities for exposure, and it's hard, you know, if if we're getting resumes of people we just have no background with. The interview process doesn't allow us to really get to know people to the point to where is this somebody that I want to spend four days on the road with. It's just not a nine-to-five. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to be able to count on this person in the best of times, in Tough the worst time. of times, on the road, know, knowing kind of who they are outside of the gym when they're not involved in our program because we're, we are ultimate, ultimately... You're representing this, the, the institution, yeah. They're going to be representing us, and now with the new NCAA rules, whether I break the rule or not, I'm responsible for the rules my assistants break. And mm-hmm. so I gotta know, I've got to know a lot more about these people than just watching them run a drill. And so having people going, going out there, you know, and I, I probably spend two hours a day, for the last two months, two hours a day helping other people pursue jobs you know and there are people that played for me that i've just helped place two of those people in their first college jobs i've got people that i've done camps with um that you know i'm kind of throwing throwing my name out there i've been on the phone with ad's because i've got references to other people i mean that's that's a big part of what we do is in helping foster our sport it's i believe in helping good people find places yeah and so it's a a community like you said it's a small community so um when we help each other we we help the whole community grow as well and you hear this all the time but i think in our world it's it's a lot more about who you know than what you know yeah it it, it is it definitely is it definitely find out what you know but more times than not it's who you know that got you into that spot yeah definitely definitely and it makes it a little easier and more comfortable at the end too like like you said because you know the person so well too you know how they're gonna interact outside of the court inside of the court traveling toughest times good times where it just makes it comfortable for you to make any decisions that you need to make with them or without them absolutely so that's good thank you well thank you very much for obviously um accepting um my invitation come talking in here it was a great talk 
And yeah, thank you for this opportunity. It was definitely one of those bucket list coaches that, that I wanted to, to meet. Come on back thank you anytime. very much. Come on thank back. you.